Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. And I want to speak to you today on the subject of four amazing things about God. And we see this in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18. There are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the air, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea, and the way of a man with a virgin, Alma, a young woman of marriageable age. Now, if you check the context, you'll see in chapter 30, verse 1, that these are the musings of one Agur, who is asking, where is God? The words of Agur, the son of Yaka, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ukal. And uh, if you change just two little points in the Hebrew, what happens is you change the whole meaning of this. I happen to go with a variant reading because it, it fits the rest of it. And, and verse 1 would read, the words of Agur, the son of Yaka, his utterance, this man declared in fainting and weariness. He was seeking God, and he was growing weary. And here's why. Look at verse 2. Surely I am more stupid than any man, and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended into heaven, or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you know? So what is happening here is, he says, I'm weary. I, I'm seeking out answers to God. I want to know questions. I want to have my questions answered. And I'm weary of looking for the answers. If anybody knows this God, speak up. If anybody knows the name of this God's son, speak up. Isn't that interesting? This is the cry of a man seeking God, to find out God. He has meditated on the physical universe, and he sees that there's a creator. He sees the footprints of a creator, the footsteps of the creator, and says, where is the creator? Now, Psalm 19 says that the heavens, the material world, declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. So we can look at the world around us, and we can see God's handiwork. But it's limited, as in looking at this watch. I can see that watch, and I know there must have been somebody to put all those parts together, but it's limited as to what it can tell me. It doesn't tell me, such reasoning doesn't tell me whether he speaks Spanish or German or French. And it doesn't tell me where the watch was put together or the name of the man who put it together. And so the writer is saying, where is God? I'm on a search for God. I'm meditating about God. And I see God in the created world. That's a good place to see God. But that's not the only place. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that that they that knew not God could look in nature and see his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. 
And the reality of it is, somehow those people, the heathen, looked at the material world and said there had to be, God had to have some help. Who is his son who helped him create this world? And even back over here, in Agur's statement, he's asking, what is the name of his son? Just like the psalmist in Psalm 8. What is man that thou hast visited him, and the son of man that you visited him? And then he goes on to say, the man seeking God goes on to say, every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. That is why we need the Bible. We need the revelation of God. Creation can lead us to God, but it doesn't give us all the answers about God. And that's why we have the revelation of the tried and true Scripture. Verse 5, every word of God is pure. I have been, I have a friend with whom I had an opportunity to spend three and a half hours this week telling him about the reality of knowing Christ. He's a great mind. He's a heart surgeon. You have an opportunity to talk to certain people that I can't talk to about Christ. I have a chance to talk to people about Christ. You don't have a chance to talk to people about Christ. And his idea is he has all these questions that must be answered before he can give his heart to Christ. And Proverbs 30, if it says anything at all, says you do not have to have all your questions answered before you begin to follow Christ. You take a decision to follow him. And then he begins to unfold. That's why he said every word of God is pure and God is a shield to those who trust him. Take that first step of faith to trust God and then all these other answers will begin to fall into place. I looked at him and said, when you married your wife, did you understand everything about her or were there some surprises after you married her? And he smiled and he said, oh yes, there were surprises. I said, well, why did you make a commitment to her when you didn't know everything about her? What well, he said, if I waited for that, I'd never get married. I said, precisely. And so all we need to know about God in order to come to God is that God is. And we take that step of faith to commit our lives to him. And once we do that, then God gives us the Holy Spirit. And he begins to answer the questions, why do evil suffer? Why do, good, why do bad men get away with bad things? Why is there choice? Why, why, do bad, why do these things happen? I don't understand this world. Why are there hypocrites? All those are questions that fall into place after we make a commitment, not before. If I had to have the answer to all those questions, I would never have become a Christian. And I'm saying to every one of you here who are seeking the reality of God, you don't need to have every question answered before you come to Christ. Come and take a step of faith and reach out to him, and he will give you the answers in his way and in his time. He will answer your questions for you. The Bible is very clear in uh, the book of Hebrews. The Bible tells us that he that, that comes to God must believe two things, that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's all you need to know to come to God. That God is, 
You have a right to a presupposition that God exists. You have a right to the presupposition that God doesn't exist if you want it, but you have a hard time working out your world if you take that stand. And I have a right to my supposition that God is, and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then having said that, having, having said there are three things which are too wonderful for me, he uses a numeric outline. It's very much like the old song we learned as boys and girls. Do you remember? We learned a lot of things where we learned to count at the same time we learned truth. One, two, three, the devil's after me. Four, five, six, he's always throwing bricks. Seven, eight, nine, he missed me every time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Did you ever hear that? How many have never heard that? I just sang it for you just now. Just, just did. How many have never heard that before? You never heard that? How many had heard it? Okay, there are a lot of things like that. One, two, three, we count. And so this is a proverb to be learned. And so there are three things that are too wonderful. No, four. One, two, three, things too wonderful. One, two, three, four, too wonderful for me to understand. Amazing things. The way of an eagle in the air. The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on the high seas. And the way a man wins over a young girl's heart. Now, what are all the, the comparisons of those? Well, they're all mysterious, aren't they? I mean, each one of them has their own mystery. They have a separate mystery. Anybody here know love when you see it walking down the street? Nah, you don't know love when you see it walking down the street. You just think you do. Love is like an onion. We taste it with delight. And when it's gone, we wonder, whatever made me bite. Or love is like a lizard. It curls up in your heart and jumps up in your gizzard. But that's, I mean, what is love? Who knows what love is? And the way of a ship on the high seas. <laughs> you can only see the wake for a minute, and then it's gone. It disappears. You don't know where the ship has been, and you don't know where it's going. And the way of a serpent on a rock. And the way of an eagle in the air. Let's take them. Because the only way to get at the meaning of these is to understand that nature is a reflection of the nature and the glory of God. And it is consummated in Christ. So what's the first one? Well, the first one is the eagle, the way of an eagle in the air. The Hebrew word for way is derek. And it means a direction. It means a way. It's the process of a journey. It means a destiny. It is a track, a route. Who knows the way of an eagle? And I call this the mystery of how and why God works and cares for us. I love Margie's piece from Mendelssohn. What was the title of that? It is, But the Lord is Mindful of His Own. Now that's why Agur is saying that the way of an eagle is too much to understand. The eagle flies higher than any other bird is even born. The eagle can fly above any other bird. He is very specially equipped to fly. Did you know that the eagle has five different kinds of feathers? 
And even in the Old Testament, before any biologist had ever classified the eagle's feathers, the Old Testament speaks of the multi-feathered eagle. And perhaps you didn't know this, but the eagle's bones are lighter than his feathers. That's why he can fly so high. And he flies so high that you can't even see him, but he can see you because the eagle's vision is eight times that of a human being. So when you have long since lost the eagle, the eagle still has his eye on you and knows exactly where you are. When I, when I started thinking about that, I just sat back and said, if that isn't like the heavenly father, I cannot see him. I don't know where he is, but his eye is on me and he watches over me, and he is always, as Margaret played, mindful of his own, as Mendelssohn wrote, he is mindful of his own. My mother-in-law's favorite song was, Why Should I Feel Discouraged? Why Should the Shadows Come? Why Should My Heart Be Lonely and Long for Heaven and Home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, for his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. That's the amazing thing about the eagle. Imagine no matter where you go, God is mindful of you. No matter where you go, his eye is on you. When you can't see him, he sees you. When you don't know that he's watching, he's watching you. That's the amazing thing about the eagle flying in the air. When we were at, at Yellowstone National Park, we looked for all the animals. We looked for the mule deer, we saw them. We looked for elk, we saw them. We looked for a bear, and sure enough, all of a sudden coming down, we saw four cars stopped, or five cars stopped. And here comes this bear lumbering down the hill and goes down to get himself a drink, I guess to wash the honey down. And then he gets up, and it turns to a, a tree stump there and rubs his back just like this. I've seen my granddad do that. Have you ever done that when your back itched? Get up against the corner of a door. A bear gets up the edge of an old tree and rubs his back. And then he clambered back up the mountain and I thought, we've seen a bear. But we looked and looked for an eagle. We thought we saw one and we decided it was an osprey and not an eagle. They're hard to see. They're hard to catch because they fly so high and you cannot trace them. It's hard to follow them. And how is it they fly so effortlessly? How is it they catch those drafts and go so high? And the eagle represents the unseen God whose eye is on you and watches and cares for you, and there's a mystery. We don't know how he works, but he never takes his eye off of us. Once we've made up our minds to follow Christ, his eye will follow you the rest of your life. Did you know that? That's an amazing thing about God. He knows where you are. He counts the hair on your head. I was in a store the other day, and the girl gave me too much change. And I said, here, here's your change back. You gave me too much. And she said, uh, or I said to her, do you have that happen often? Do people give you change back when there's nobody watching and nobody would know? And she, now I'm the preacher. Remember this. I'm, I'm the preacher. She's the cashier. 
She said, oh, somebody's always watching. Oh, I said, yeah, the camera, right? Yeah, the camera's always got me. Well, she said, no, I don't mean the camera. I said, well, who do you mean? She said, God. Oh, I said, yeah, uh, 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 of course. <laughs> God is always watching. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> But there's an amazing thing, the way of an eagle, how and why God works and cares. Turn back to Deuteronomy 32. In the mind of the, of the Jew of the Old Testament and the people of Israel, they will never forget Moses' recap of what God had done for Israel. And he does it in chapter 32 of the book of Deuteronomy, beginning in verse 10. He found him in a desert land... And in the wasteland, a howling wilderness, he encircled him. He instructed him. He, God, kept Israel as the apple of his eye. Did you ever wonder where that phrase came from? Did you hear me pray that for one of these children? That came from right here. God looked on Israel like an eagle looks upon a little eaglet. And makes her the apple of his eye. Verse 11. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. God said, I treated you like an eagle. I kept my eye on you. I swooped down upon you in the wilderness when nobody else cared for you. When you were forlorn and lonely and lost, I was like an eagle watching over you, not letting anything happen to you, protecting you. I take great consolation in that. This week I went through, I, we've been cleaning out some of mom and dad's things, and I went through one of the apartments they had up in Ohio, and, and I found pictures of myself I'd never seen or hadn't remembered seeing in the second and third and fourth grades. I look like that. I found my report cards. Do you mean I got those grades? <laughs> I found my first grade reader where I'd scrawled Mark Quartz on it. And I read through that, and I said, do you mean there was a time when I was reading on that level? And I began to look around, and I began to I saw the steering wheel where we used to play bus driver. Great big old cracked steering wheel. It's at least 60 years old. And, uh, and I saw that steering wheel, and there I am, a grown man. And I picked up that wheel, and I went, rrm, 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 just like I did 50 years ago. And as I sat there in the midst of all that, I thought, you know, isn't God good? He sweeps down like an eagle when we don't deserve anything. When we don't deserve his attention and we don't deserve his, his kindness and we don't deserve his grace, just like with Israel, he sweeps down like an eagle coming to catch its eaglet and protect it and picks us up and says, here, let me set you up upon a rock and see what I can do with your life. God is a God to be worshipped and praised because he is so amazing. He is like the eagle whom you cannot see but who never takes you out of his sight, he never lets you be out of his care. Or, Agur said, it is not only the way of an eagle in the air, that's the mystery of how and why God works and God cares, but it's the way of a serpent on a rock. 
I call this the mystery of God's timing. That's what I call this. I, I read some people who, oh, they wanted to go into all kinds of machinations and, and similes about how Christ is the rock and the serpent crawls over Christ and can't bite him. And all. That's not what this is about. The four things that are too wonderful to behold are about movement, about tracing. I can trace a snake in the sand. I can see where he came from, but I can't see where he's going. I can trace that serpent in a, in a, uh, 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 a grassy area. He'll sometimes even leave crushed grass. But on a rock, you don't know where he came from, and you don't know where he's going, and you don't know when he's moving. You see, the blood of a, of, a, of, a, uh, of a serpent is always one degree less, I am told, than the external temperature. And at 70, he can move around. But at 50, he's 49, and he's having a hard time moving. And at 40, his temperature is 39. He can barely move. And at 20, he's 19, and he can't at 20 degrees. He's only 19 degrees, and he's virtually hibernated. He can't move. Don't worry about him. We've got a great big old black snake. He's shiny, real nice, lovely skin. I love to see him. He comes out and suns every now and then. He's got a hole somewhere under our house. He goes, because I've caught the skins. But I, I like to leave him around. He loves to eat those voles and moles, and they dig up my yard. And as long as he stays around, just let him hog, hog those things. He can have all he wants. I'll even give him Tabasco sauce for him if he wants. But, but he eats those things up. He's about five feet long. And he's about this round, got a shiny, slick black coat. Uh, now, surely when she sees him, she runs. Heads for the house. Call the animal control officer. 911 now. Now, I'll leave him alone. He's beautiful. And he's helpful. Amen? How many don't like snakes? You don't like snakes. How many like snakes? Okay. Well, we got all kinds here today, don't we? But I'll let him go. But listen, I'll tell you what he does. He'll come out and lay on that concrete walk. And the sun has made the rock warm. And it will warm his underbelly. And then the sun will warm his skin. And then all of a sudden, like lightning, and, shoosh, and he's gone. And you never know when he's going to move. And he doesn't give a lot of advance warning. And it's just the way God works in our lives. I get in the most trouble when I get anxious for God to do what God's supposed to do. And I want to dictate the time to him. Do you? Why do you think the psalmist says over and over again, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait? Listen, the action of that serpent on the rock, the way he moves, the way he moves without warning, the way he moves so rapidly, is a reminder to us of God's timing. At just the right time, he's going to work in your life, Jim, not one day earlier and not one day late. He knows exactly what you need. And Bill, at exactly the right time, he'll work in your life. You know, I'm surprised. Sometimes I'll go along and I'll think, well, why hasn't God done something? Where is he? I mean, I, I'm getting tired of waiting on God. I spent half my life on waiting on him. And then all of a sudden, zing, boom, and something happens and everything falls into place. And then we say, well, I should have known all along. And why is it after God's done that to us again and again, he knows the right timing? 
we should trust him. It's an amazing thing the way the derrick of a serpent on a rock, the path. We don't know where he's going. We don't know where he's been, and we don't know when he's moving. And he reminds us of the timing of God in our lives. But that's not the only amazing thing. There's something else. There's the mystery of God's knowing. He says, the third thing that is too amazing for me to understand is the way of a ship in the midst of the sea. (laughs) Who of us can figure that out? I mean, I love to sail. I'm not very good. I've only sailed a couple of times. But which of us can tell where the ship has been? Oh, you can see the wake for a moment, and then it disappears. I've been on cruise ships and stood at the back, and I can see that wake, and then suddenly the wake disappears, and you cannot tell where that huge ship came from, and you cannot tell where it's going. And the, and, and the, the writer of Proverbs says, oh, he says, this is an amazing thing, where the ship, how the ship gets where it's going. And the thing is that that ship on the seas depends on a completely different element for its movement. It depends upon the winds blowing for its movement. I say it went sailing once with Dudley Sims down off Fort Lauderdale. We were on his catamaran, and we thought we were going places, and we, we took off. We got the wind going and took us right out to the Gulf Stream. I can still see our wives on the beach waving goodbye. (laughs) And then we got out in the Gulf Stream, and we tried to turn around. And when we tried to turn around, the thing turtled. Do you know what it does when it turtles? Do you know what that means? It means that that mast goes straight, which should be straight up in the air, goes straight down into the water. The, The whole boat doesn't lay on the side. It goes straight down. Now the mast is sticking straight down in the water. We're standing on the side, pulling on a rope, trying to jerk that thing back up. We finally jerk it. It turns up like this and flips again and goes right back down under. And about that time, I slip off the boat and I cut my leg and there's blood running around the water. And Dudley is full of comfort and says, you know, there are sharks in these waters. (laughs) I said, oh, yeah? Meanwhile, we've been out there about four hours working to get this thing. Our wives are called the police, the Coast Guard, the National Guard, the every kind of guard, the Civil Air Patrol. I wonder what all these planes were doing flying around above us. I saw an armada of ships heading toward us. And I said, good, Dudley, we're in the middle of a, of a ship parade. And all of a sudden, I hear these sirens coming up. And just about that time, we pulled the the sailboat up, and we got it straight up in the water. And Dudley (laughs) Dudley says to to the Coast Guard commander, he says, oh, we're all right now. We can get in okay. He says, no, you're not, and no, you won't. (laughs) And he threw that rope over there, lashed us, and pulled us in, and humiliated us by pulling us in. And by this time, hundreds of people are standing on the beach to watch us being pulled back to shore. And when we get in, they all clap like that. Well, we just had a little problem. I mean, it wasn't anything big. And our wives called the insurance companies and canceled those claims. The fact is, a ship out on the high seas, you cannot trace its way. It depends upon the wind. But even more than that, it depends upon points of reference. Stars in the sky against which to measure its angle. Those are points of reference 
when it doesn't know its way, the ship would not know its way on the high seas. Folks, that's why I call this the mystery of God's knowing. See, if I were left to run my own life, if the ship on the sea has no points of reference, if an airplane in the air has no points of reference, no landmarks, no, no signals, no signals coming from the satellites, how would you know, if I were writing this, I would say an airplane flying through the air. You don't know where it's been, you don't know where it's going. And how does a pilot know where it's going, Ed? Unless he's got points of reference, doesn't he? He's got points of reference. And the ship has points of reference. And see, that's the conclusion that Agur came to. He said, after I've tried to know God by experimenting, and after I've tried to know God by figuring him out, he said, I learned to know God by revelation. Every word of God is pure. If you and I tried to run our own lives and didn't have points of reference in the Word of God, the values of the Bible, the principles of the Bible, the truth of the Bible, against which to measure our position, how would we know our way? If you're not regularly under the sound of the Word of God, if you're not regularly into the Word of God, who are your points of reference? What are your points of reference? How do you know you're not losing your way in life like a ship that doesn't measure itself against the stars? Do you know where you've been and do you know where you're going? And the Scripture declares that's an amazing thing. When we put ourselves in God's hand, He knows where we're going. And God has a plan, and he knows where we've been. Well, there is a fourth one here, and that is the way of a man with a virgin. The way of a man with a young lady. I don't know. I can't explain that. Jim, how in the world did you win Linda's heart? Huh? What did you have to promise her? Robert, how did you win over Kay? What was it that did it? What initiative Something in you clicked about something in her, and in the process of dating, she said, you know, I love that man, and I want to spend the rest of my life with that man, and something happened. You can't trace that. You can't analyze that. You can't put that down. You can't say it went from the elbow to the little finger to the gizzard to the lizard to the... You, you can't describe how... You, you don't know the way of it. I don't know what went on... But there was love expressed from one to the other. It found a nesting place. It found a response. This one tried this one out in this way. He tried her out this way. He found out what kind of person she was, whether she liked uh, 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 cornbread and grits or whatever. And so all those things began to click. And suddenly, the way of a man. How does a man win a woman's heart? I don't know. I know one time a guy walked into my office and he said, I just got kicked off a man's porch over on Louisville Clemens Road. And I said, well, why did he kick you off? He said, because I walked up to his door and knocked on the door and asked if I could marry his daughter. Well, I said, how long have you known her? He said, well, that's a problem. I don't know her. Oh, I said, you want to marry her, but you don't know her? Yeah, he said. Why wouldn't he want me to marry her? She needs a husband, doesn't she? I don't know whether she needs a husband or not, I said to him. But I said, you don't walk up to on a porch, knock on the door, and say, can I marry your daughter when you don't even know the man or the girl? Amen? That's not the way we do it around here anyway. You might do that some places. See, it is too amazing for us to even understand. It's too amazing how a man loves a woman. Now, you see what that's a picture of? 
It's a picture of how Christ loves the church. If, if in fact, Jesus is revealed in this Old Testament, which he says he is in Luke 24, 48, then what is there revealed? We cannot trace God's love for man. I have no way of understanding why God loves you. I cannot tell you why God cares. I cannot even tell you all the ways that he loves you, but I can tell, he, tell you that he loves you, and it's an amazing thing, his love. Larry leads us in that song, and can it be that I should gain? Can it be that God would love me enough that he would send Christ for me? The way of God loving a man is like the way of a man loving a young lady. And I don't know how it happens, but it happens, and I don't know whence God's love comes, except that that's his nature to love, and he loves to love, and he loves you, and I don't care what you've done, and I don't care what you've been in, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what your family has done. God loves you, God cares for you, and that's an amazing thing that God loves us. And if you've never been saved, if you've never received Christ, you don't need to know all the reasons how God loves you. You don't need to know all of your future. You just take a step of faith, and God knows, and God will guide you like a ship is guided on the ocean by the reference points. And God has things planned, timed out in your life. God has a time schedule for you. And you will never know how God cares and works, but he does, and he never takes his eye off you. He's like the eagle in the sky who follows you everywhere you go. And once you've received Christ and you have a brand new relationship with him, you will join with me in saying, here is something we can worship. A God who knows and cares for us. A God who has timing for us. A God who knows the future for us. A God who loves us even when we don't understand his love. All four of these things are hidden from observation. There are mysteries to all of them, but they are true. You cannot know God by figuring him out. God will reveal himself to you as you yield yourself to him. And that's the way a man and a woman fall in love. We yield ourselves a little bit to each other. We reveal ourselves. We give self-disclosure, and then she gives self-disclosure until we know enough that we're ready and willing and able to make a commitment of our lives to them. And that's the way God works with us. I'm going to ask you, have you followed Jesus Christ? Have you made room for him in your life? I want to ask you today, have you ever taken a public stand? Have you ever taken a public stand just like that star fell before everybody and you saw it and watched it? And that's what God wants of you. I want you just to stay seated for a moment and bow your head. Would you do 